Major support for Carolina Business Review provided by Grant Thornton. Operating in more than 100 countries, our tax, audit, and advisory professionals specialize in helping companies unlock their growth potential. Colonial Life, providing benefits to employees to help them protect their family, their finances, and their futures. High Point University, the premier life skills university, focused on preparing students for the world as it is going to be. And Sonoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. So what's that old Chinese proverb, may you live in interesting times? Well, welcome to the most widely watched and longest running source of Carolina business policy and public affairs seen each week across the Carolinas now for 29 years. I'm Chris William, and thank you for watching and supporting this dialogue. Later on, we welcome again Nephron Pharmaceutical Chief Lou Kennedy. But before that, we will unpack some of the interesting headlines and analysis of what is important in this region right now to us with our expert panel. We hope you'll stay with us. Gratefully acknowledging support by Martin Marietta, a leading provider of natural resource-based building materials, providing the foundation upon which our communities improve and grow. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. Visit us at SouthCarolinaBlues.com. The Duke Endowment, a private foundation enriching communities in the Carolinas through higher education, healthcare, rural churches, and children's services. Bearings, a leading global asset management firm dedicated to meeting the evolving investment and capital needs of its clients. Learn more at Bearings.com. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, Sam Condurus of SC Bio, Patrick Woody from the North Carolina Rural Center, and special guest, Lou Kennedy, CEO and owner of Nephron Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Hello, welcome again to our program. Happy weekend, gentlemen. Thank you for both being here. It's good, good to see you. Here. Thank see you. Patrick, let's start with something broad. So here we are starting the 11th year of an economic expansion. Uh, the Carolinas have been chugging on all eight cylinders. Expansion, great. Not, of course, not everyone. These are broad statements. But during this period of time when, we, when, when our coffers are flush and state budgets are running uh, surpluses and we've got a lot of positive momentum, are we getting done policy-wise but also in practice really the issues that we need to be addressing? Um, my answer would probably be no. Uh, uh, and I, I come at it from a rural point of view and really looking at the rural communities in our state. And it's true, both these states have really seen booming times of expansion, the longest expansion period in, in forever maybe, uh, certainly in a long, long time. But it is very unequal. It, is not equal, it has not reached all parts certainly of our state of North Carolina. Uh, a lot of that growth, a lot of the investment and, and new job creation has been um, highly concentrated in only two of North Carolina's 100 counties, Wake and Mecklenburg. Uh, so there's some pretty big issues out there. It was really 2015, well into the recovery, before most rural communities began to feel the effects of the recovery. Um, and so we have the, certainly the major priorities we're working on at the Rural Center from a rural point of view, broadband. Um, health care, um, water and sewer infrastructure, 
uh, transportation infrastructure, but not from the point of view of, uh, not from the standpoint of, of congestion being a problem. I don't know that we've made the big investments in solving some of those problems. Uh, Sam, as you listen to Patrick talk about the kind of the priorities, right. the broadband, the transportation, et cetera, et cetera, is that, is that something that weighs on you that you look at and say, well, if we, or, and, and these are my words, Sam, but if we're not doing it now, when it gets slow, it's going to be exponentially harder. Right. You know, so, so gratefully we are enjoying the largest budget surplus in state history this year, and times are good, so I'm with you. We need to strike while the iron's hot. And I think, I think we're trying. I'm going to be optimistic in my answer, <laughs> but it, it's very difficult in some of these areas. The apples are getting higher up the tree. So things in South Carolina from a policy standpoint like tax reform, where in many cases you have a tax code that developed from the 1950s forward, it doesn't necessarily reflect the economy of 2020, it, it doesn't necessarily uh, reflect things like, I don't think we contemplated life science companies that would need to raise tens of millions of dollars before they ever commercialized, things like that. So there are elements that we really would love to have comprehensive tax reform. I think that's going to take some time. Gratefully, our road infrastructure, we have a bill in place. We're making some gains on that never fast enough because mm -hmm. our growth is outpacing our ability to uh, keep up with infrastructure. So, you know, I, I think the awareness level level is high, the legislature is trying to tackle some of these key areas. Uh, a big one for us is to shift more toward a tech-based economic development strategy in South Carolina as we're attracting whole new different types of knowledge based industries that need, they have different needs. And, and that's something that we're gonna have to continue to work on. So to take what you just said, Sam, and to kind of weave it back into something you said, Patrick talked about broadband yeah. access. Broadband sounds, at first blush, it sounds like, well, it's a nice policy and it would be nice for everyone to have broadband and Wi-Fi. Is that something that really can supercharge the connectivity, rural, urban? Absolutely, and it's an essential foundational issue that we have to solve. If you look at the FCC broadband map of North Carolina, it says that 93% of the households in the state of North Carolina are served by high-speed broadband, and it's not worth the paper it's printed on. That is a complete fiction. It has all to do with the way the data is collected and reported. Um, and so we have many rural communities in North Carolina that do not have adequate broadband or any broadband at all. And if you look at the needs of the 21st century, if you're going to start and grow a small business and you don't have access to broadband um, infrastructure, you're at a serious disadvantage if you, can, if, if you can even make any progress. When we look at taking care of an aging population that's aging faster than the rest of the state, helping them age in place, if you don't have access to telehealth and telemedicine mm -hmm. and, and the tools that broadband affords, you're at a serious disadvantage. And um, you know, it, it really impacts us in every area. And, and we can't educate our kids or our adult workforce without access to high-speed broadband. So how far are we away from a satisfactory broadband policy that, that actually is in, in place? I mean, it almost is reflective of your last question. We're, it, the awareness is high. It's a major initiative in South Carolina, <clears throat> excuse me, both on the public and the private side, but I agree with everything Patrick is saying. Staunchly, we can't get there fast enough. If you look at healthcare, which is, while we may have the most talented clinicians and resources in the world. Uh, we have a dysfunctional system in many ways that is so expensive. You know, when you look at the cost per patient and the outcomes don't necessarily correlate with the kind of expenditures we have. So if you're actually 
trying to reduce cost while increasing access. Telehealth, telemedicine is one of the absolute most obvious ways, and especially for rural areas of North and South Carolina. So that is, uh, it's easier said than done, and it's gonna take a lot of deliberate strategy. Well, what is it gonna cost? Well, it, it's an expensive proposition, but it cannot happen without the partnership of federal and state government. Essentially, you've got to buy down the cost of what it really takes to do that last mile service. And we have to, to some extent, be agnostic about the technology, mm -hmm. except the reality that last mile fiber to every home and business is not going to be economically possible. Uh, but we need programs that work together that we can stack. We need a federal funding system, uh, such as USDA's ReConnect grants. Um, we just had uh, several big announcements in Eastern North Carolina in the last two months. It's the first announcements we've had of that kind of significance in a long time. So I feel really good that we've made great progress on this issue in North Carolina. I feel very good about the bipartisan partisanship that exists around the issue of rural broadband. We got established a state-based grants program that really complements other funding sources uh, and will get us there faster and it really focuses mm -hmm. on the most economically disadvantaged places in our state. We're doing so, I'm, I'm going out to Eastern North Carolina to do one of those big announcements next week about a project that we're really excited about. We've made progress, it's not happening at a high enough scale, it's not happening fast enough and it is essential for the future do you, of these do you think communities. The 2020 census leans in to what you're trying to do then? Well, the census, you know, to fill out the census, you, uh, you know, one of the ways you uh, are, uh, and the most common way that you will fill out the census is online. Uh, and if you're in a place in a community that doesn't have online in, uh, access or you're really disadvantaged by that, then we, uh, we already know who the hardest to count communities are mm. uh, across the state in rural, suburban, and urban areas. Um, and they're further disadvantaged by the fact that those are the same populations that don't have online access a lot of the time. S Sam, does the 2020 census in the 46, of the, uh, 46 counties in South Carolina, is that going to be an... Is that, again, will that lean into hopefully what you become, what you think will become good broadband deployment policy? Can only help. I mean, you know, truly with the, the influx of uh, folks into both Carolinas, I mean, yeah, I'm going to say fortunately, even with the challenges it brings infrastructure wise, we are top 10 fastest growing states in the country, have been for a while. It's uh, cities like Charleston, I think average over 40 new residents every day. So, you know, uh, but but there is a gulf still between our urban areas and our rural areas and, and the intertwining of, again, healthcare to, to how we serve our citizens. Uh, an iPhone seems to be the one common denominator that transcends all socioeconomic levels and is a tool that is easily used. So, you know, our, our we are in lockstep and I think gratefully both of our legislatures are giving this a lot of energy, um, private sector leaders like our my board chairman Lou Kennedy, who will be later in the show today, she puts a lot of time and energy into that. But it's and I'll, I'll say finally, it's clearly a bipartisan effort. There, you know, Jim Clyburn is a longstanding um, congressman from South Carolina. It is his number one priority. Okay, thank you. Uh, that'll be the last word. Stay with us. We'll, we will meet our guest in just a moment. Um, Coming up on this program, she has been here before. She cares, to say she cares about opioids is probably an understatement, and North Carolina seems to be lucky to have her. She is the secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services. Dr. Mandy Cohen has been very outspoken, not just about uh, opioids in the old North State, but also healthcare and Medicaid and all things related. We will meet Dr. Cohen once again on the set in a couple weeks. And then coming up 
Alan Wilson is the Attorney General in South Carolina. He will also be joining our dialogue uh, very soon. Our guest's company got their first approval from the FDA almost a quarter a century ago. And they still enjoy recognition in things like the fastest growing, women-owned, innovative companies, not only in the South, but also nationally. And the public acknowledgments go way beyond manufacturing and just drug development. Joining us now is the point of the spear, so to speak, at Nephron Pharmaceuticals. We welcome again Chief Executive Officer Lou Kennedy. Madam Chair, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Um, Lou, let me just say, so you don't have to say it, but in full disclosure, you do chair SC Bio's board, and there is a, an arrangement uh, in that way here, so I wanted to make sure we were completely acknowledging that. But let's go back to this, something that the South Carolina Department of Employment and Workforce Executive Director Dan Elsey said about Nephron was this idea that you, and this is my term, you put your arms around school teachers to bring them into the workforce, help them, and was clever, and it helped the state, and it j just seems to be working. Where did that idea come from? What was the genesis of that? Well, I, my mother taught first grade for 40 years, and in fact, Sam was in her first grade <laughs> class. So this is how far we go back and how representative of the Carolinas. Uh, but I was thinking, who could we get immediately reliable, responsible, educated, certainly writes that would write legibly so we can we can see the documentation and we could count on them just all in all so we thought about i said let's let's send out the social media blast to educators coaches teachers retired teachers and i looked at what we were paying starting salary um, for teachers in south carolina and so i came up with the number of 21 bucks an hour which is i, I had no idea until we came up with the idea that most, not most, but a lot of teachers are working second jobs. Many of them are single moms. They need extra support. So this was a way for us to help the teachers who need to be paid so much more than they are paid for, for the wonderful work that they're doing. And I said, let's do that. Let's bring some in. So we've had a really nice blend of super young teachers, coaches, um, other educators, even through the um, college level. And so we now, we started with, in the first three weeks, we recruited 650. And how long ago was this? When was the first class? Uh, last so March. Okay, last well. March, April time frame. Okay. And then a month or so ago, we, um, the orders are coming in so fast and we needed more help. So we've, we're now up to 750 educators that are, you can't park at our place. They're parked <laughs> along the road, along the uh, parking lot, the entryway. So we're very happy and we came up with the idea of um, giving the teachers red scrubs and so it was reminding of, of a teacher's red apple and even the color and the teachers they cheer us up the unintended consequence though has been another whole pool to recruit because they have spouses siblings and others who are looking for work and then the best part of it the teachers take our message back into the classroom and so they're telling their students, hey, I work at a pharmaceutical corporation and here's what we need for you to learn in the chemistry lab or in the biology classes and, and further mm -hmm. maybe become microbiologists. And so logistics, all the things that we're doing, and they're so inquisitive that it keeps us on our toes. Uh, we love having them around. I, you know, I just, I don't know that we, we know how we existed before we had all these teachers in, in the house. Patrick? 
So I've been really impressed just in reading and learning about you, not only the, the history or the story of the company that you've built, but also the civic engagement that you've really brought to, to, to your work in South Carolina. Um, and, I, and to return to our previous discussion about rural broadband, I understand broadband's an issue that, that you have taken a personal interest in and, and really interested in advancing. And I'd love for you maybe to talk about your perspective of why it's so important. Well, I am um, definitely a cheerleader of many different things, and that's both philanthropic and then anything that helps our children in education, I'm always on board, and particularly as it pertains to women leaders. But what uh, my thoughts are, I'm, I'm in Congressman, or our whip, um, Congressman Clyburn's office in Washington, and he told us a story about a farmer from Chester who needed to get his children, his child and others in the community to a local McDonald's in order to do their homework. And I mean, I just teared up. Yeah. So I said to Congressman Clyburn, you let me know what we can do in the private sector and I will cheer. You can have my sweat equity. You can have whatever I can muster to help further this cause. So we've reached out um, through the state chamber in South Carolina we were able to form a committee of all the stakeholders as well as a room full of private sector folks who care whether it's a workforce development play, whether it's training. M my theory is this, we, we have a wonderful Miss South Carolina right now and I'm gonna steal a quote from her, every child has talent but does every child have an opportunity? Mm -hmm. If we don't allow the children to dream and then later train, how can we expect to develop our workforce? So we, um, and, I, and I listened to what you said previously, we gotta raise billions. This is not an easy, you know, little obstacle. We've gotta raise a lot of money. And I, I think it needs to come from a combination of the government, of, of the private sector. And further, when Congressman Clyburn said this, I'm gonna completely agree with him. When we talk about infrastructure, this isn't just roads and bridges, it's our right. connectivity yeah. through high-speed internet. So I hope that as we continue to discuss infrastructure across the country, we will include uh, high-speed internet. We just have to do it. It's you know where we are with the TVA and the REA and so forth in the 40s. We need electricity, we need it, phones, commitment. we right. now need yeah. this internet. Yeah, so. Sam. Thank you. Yeah, I, you know, sticking with the talent, the workforce issue a little bit, you know it's paramount in our <coughs> life sciences mm -hmm. industry and our, our shared interest in that. So I'm, I'm so glad that the story of the public teachers has come out. But I have watched you, Lou, be extremely creative on several fronts there. I mean, in addition to, you know, the public teacher story, which got highlighted on the NBC Nightly News even, I've, I've watched you team up with technical colleges to create for South Carolina, unprecedented pharmaceutical industry certificate programs for juniors in high school that enabled them to work part-time after class, be hired immediately after high school if they chose not to go to a four-year university at, frankly, really strong salary and benefits. I've watched you utilize social media in such a thoughtful way to just generate interest. So, you know, our metro areas, including the Columbia area where you are under 2% unemployment right now. It's tough. So you have to be thoughtful, but maybe most impressive, it's a loaded question. Not only you coming up with all those ideas, but how did you execute on them in such a compressed time frame? <laughs> Well, I do have a Southern accent, but I'm always <laughs> accused of being a New Yorker somewhere in there. I move really quickly. So I don't take the luxury of time. I just, 
you know, there's the book by Sheryl Sandberg, Lean In. My motto is dive in, and that's the way I do everything, as, as you well know. So I, um, like, even with the teachers, we were behind in orders. We knew that patients needed these products. They were going to hospitals. These are all drug shortage issues. And so I thought, what can we do quickly? And we know that that demographic is trainable, coachable, easy to train. So I just said, how can we do this? So the onboarding process was chaotic the first couple weeks. Then about the third week, one of our young, talented individuals found a software program called Deputy.com. That allowed us to bring, okay. using the iPhone, using our phone, smartphones, we pinged the candidates. They can go online all throughout the day and say, I'll take 3.30 to 6. I'll take 4 to 8. I'll take whatever. And we can sign up. So through our phones, we were able to get the order. And I don't know what we've done, we would have done without that. And then we have... Um, three individuals that do nothing but do educator interaction between our company when they arrive, ushering them to where they're needed, uh, communicating with them on a daily basis, thanking them for what they do. We've included them on um, Nephron company uh, outings and things that we're doing. We try to make this just one big family. So that's how we handled that uh, program. But it's, in terms of the students, we at all times have a 100 anything from high school up through um, college age and even PhD uh, candidates. So we are investing in schools at every age level. I believe that if the private sector and the employers don't get involved in the schools, they have absolutely no right to complain about the talent pool that they have and from which to hire. So. My thoughts are we have to be in the schools. I'm donating equipment, I'm donating people, I'm donating my own time, and we are encouraging, like we have uh, Groundhog Days coming up and we have that shadowing program and we've got, I don't know how many <laughs> students coming to watch others and what they do and potentially look at uh, careers for them and they're 12 and 13 year olds. So we're, we're investing at every age and I'm sure it has something to do with, my mother taught 40 years, my father taught out of labor of love in the technical school system, 15 years um, machine tool and die. I thought it was a labor love. I'm a little bit thinking he was hiring the best students for <laughs> his company, Eastman Chemical <laughs> Company. But nevertheless, it's in my DNA, and I, I'm a big supporter of what we can do through education. So, <clears throat> Madam Chair, let's bring, bring that. Patrick <clears throat> used the term to describe you civic engagement, and clearly you've got that spirit. I mean, you moved your company from Florida back to South Carolina so you could be home. But uh, you've got a year where South Carolina now, budget, is almost $2 billion surplus. You wrote an op-ed in the summer of last year in the state newspaper that said it's time for tax reform. So if you take those two together, you take your enthusiasm and your passion around doing things that are good and well, how is it time for, how, how, how critical is it that South Carolina get the tax reform done right and right now? It is over the top critical. We have a, what I like to call a Byzantine set of laws that we're following. And that's the nicest way I know to put it. I mean, we still have on our books an exemption, for, an exemption for bailing twine for the hay industry from, I don't know, the turn of the century. I mean, we, it's time to take a look at it. We're, we don't have our tax laws written in support of technology companies, for example. And you know, even though I'm a pharmaceutical manufacturing facility, 
I'm a tech company that, by the way, produces pharmaceuticals. And that's what advanced manufacturing is. So we need to take a look at what are we doing in our tax structure, our tax code, to support and undergird these jobs that are paying twice the median income that we have in our state and in the Carolinas. So we got to support that. Now, what are we going to do about it? It's not easy. You've got um, uh, legislative consultants, lobbyists, and others fighting for their industries, and rightly so, but we're going to have to give and take, and this is the perfect year the legislature can do something because we do have a surplus. The economy's been fantastic. We are just so very fortunate. This is the right time to do it. In North Carolina, they, you know, dug in and uh, came up with the structure over a set of years mm -hmm. so that it wasn't so penalizing all at once. It was woven into the fabric of the new tax code. We can do that. It's been shown to be done. Tennessee's made great strides. You know, I came from Florida. My husband still questions me on a regular basis. Lou, why have you done this? You had no state income tax there. Think about what you've done. And so, I've, yes, I'm happy to be home. Yes, I love the recruiting. I love the students that we're turning out. But we've got to do something to be competitive. We can't rely just on fee and lieu agreements. We cannot do that. We need something that makes us competitive. 365 okay. days of the year. I, I wish we had, I truly do wish we had more time. Please come back and keep talking about this. I hope you will, please. Certainly. Okay, all right. Lou, thank you for being here. Thank you. Sam, nice to have you here. Patrick, thank as you. always, thank, thank you. you. Until next week, I'm Chris William. Good night. Major funding for Carolina Business Review provided by High Point University, Martin Marietta, Colonial Life, the Duke Endowment, Bearings, Grant Thornton, Sonoco, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Promotional consideration provided by Business North Carolina Magazine. For more information, visit carolinabusinessreview.org.